what I do here in Springfield, I'm very passionate about and feel it's a very special thing. Conductor Kevin Rhodes on this edition of Presto. I'm John Nowacki, and Presto is a production of New England Public Radio. Highly energetic and charismatic American conductor Kevin Rhodes has had an exceptionally varied career spanning concerts, opera, and ballet across the globe, having conducted in 15 different countries with over 50 different orchestras. Rhodes is currently the music director and conductor of the Springfield Symphony Orchestra in Massachusetts and the Traverse Symphony Orchestra in Traverse City, Michigan, as well as the principal conductor of the Proarte Chamber Orchestra of Boston. A regular guest conductor at Europe's top opera houses for over 20 years, this season marks his return to the Paris National Opera, the Vienna State Opera, and the Stuttgart Ballet, as well as making his debut with the Norwegian National Ballet in Oslo. Maestro Rhodes, thank you so much for joining me on Presto. You are an incredibly busy person, and over and over again, that's one thing that I see references to. But I suspect the average Springfield Symphony goer thinks that when the season's over, you go on holiday. You (laughs) You just go kick your heels up. But that couldn't be further from the truth. What have you been doing since this last season? Well, since the close of the season in May, I was first off to Europe for the end phase of the season over there. And to Europe means specifically, in this case, the Vienna State Opera, where I've been conducting since 95. was conducting a number of productions this spring, and the last of those was after we finished here. So I went off to Vienna and did some conducting and did some stuff, which part of that was big preparation for a new production that we're doing this fall in November in Vienna. And then uh, since getting back to America, it's been intensive preparation, both personal and administratively with everybody else, for this upcoming season. Well, before we go on to that, I wanted to ask you, how do you actually program a season? Now, this season was actually prepared quite some time ago, is that right? Yes, and as a matter of fact, one of the things that I started working on this summer is what season 1920 is going to look like. What are some of the considerations that you make when you're actually sitting down and trying to figure out what you're going to have played? Well, the first thing that I start with are the major pieces that we will play in the course of a season, and this could also fall into the category, which hits am I going to play? Because, of course, a season can only consist of hits. So I figure out what that's going to look like based upon when we last played a given piece and how it all fits together in in terms of the big season overview. Are you playing this composer? Are you playing that composer? Are you playing this kind of works, that kind of works? And then you start to fill in. How do you figure out soloists, and uh, how do you choose those people when you're thinking of these pieces that you're going to play? Well, there are lots of things that go into determining what soloist I would like to have play this or that. There are certain instances. Let's take our opening night concert on September 22nd, which Norman Krieger is going to be playing the Gershwin Piano Concerto. For various other reasons, I had decided that the Gershwin Piano Concerto was going to be on that opening night. I had one performance in my mind that was so special of this piece, and that was with Norman about, oh, I'd say maybe 12, 13 years ago, that I said, I really want to have Norman back and play this piece again, because our performance of that work all those years ago has remained one of my all-time favorite performances that I myself was involved in, just to listen to for fun. So I said, okay, we've got to have Norman again. Then the soloist on our second concert, Natasha Paremsky, who's going to be playing Rachmaninoff Third Piano Concerto on October 20th, 
She's been an artist that I've been trying to work out a date and a piece for for quite some time. And then other times I know I want piece X, Y, or Z, and I call my friends, the agents, and I say, you know, hey, who would you like to suggest? And then I look through their suggestions until I find the one that I like that is available on the date that I need to play that piece and whatever. To say it's a big jigsaw puzzle is an understatement. How do you challenge the orchestra musically? Well, you know, each concert certainly has to have at least one big mammoth challenge. And so you try to balance it out between challenges which are always a challenge every time they come. Then there are works, I go back to our opening night again with Copland's Third Symphony. That is a piece that most people have played maybe once, maybe twice in the course of their entire life because that's a piece which is pretty much solely the purview of the biggest orchestras, you know, New York, Chicago, Boston, etc., etc., and orchestras of our size don't encounter a work that big, that huge, that difficult so often. One of the things that this collection of musicians has really amazed me about over the years is how when we play a piece, let's say a 2007, and then we come back to it in 2012, 2014, something like this, and there is shockingly a collective memory there that I, before I came to Springfield, only working with orchestras that played every day of every week of the season, I didn't really think it possible that an orchestra that plays as infrequently as us could have a retention factor there. But they really do. They're so amazing in this regard. So each time we return to a piece, that's a thrill. Each time we have a new challenge ahead of us, that's a different kind of thrill. Are there particular accomplishments that you and the orchestra have achieved together in these past seasons that you're really proud of? Oh, my gosh, yes. One of the things I'm going to start with to answer that question is last season's Verdi Requiem performance. That was really an amazing achievement for all of the folks on stage. Really very, very thrilled with that in every possible way. The Rachmaninoff concert we played at the end of the season with the symphonic dances and the Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini with Misha Dichter. These are two very, very complex works, particularly the symphonic dances, and that's another one that doesn't come so often in the regional world. That performance that night was so fantastic. It was like we had been playing it every season since then. But what was it that made it click like that? What were the things that really made that stand out? Well, you know, the chemistry of the folks on stage with each other and with the person conducting them. So uh, there's really an exceptional chemistry, I think, between all of us on that stage. And it's no secret to the musicians that I'm a huge fan of Rachmaninoff. So maybe they give a little bit more when when they come to that because they know it really means something to me. But I try to constantly instill this idea that no matter how good we are on any given night, we have to work twice as hard to be better the next night. And so I think that's one of the reasons that this relationship, even after so many years, can still bear such wonderful fruit. Let's listen to an excerpt of the symphonic dances performed by the Springfield Symphony Orchestra in May of 2018. Kevin Rhodes conducting.
That was an excerpt from Rachmaninoff's Symphonic Dances performed by the Springfield Symphony with our guest, Kevin Rhodes, conducting. Well, let's talk about this season. You already started to talk a little bit about it, so Mm -hmm. why don't you go ahead and hit some of the other highlights that are coming up. This season is a set of some of the biggest highlights of the orchestral repertoire that we've played over the years together. Pieces like the Symphony Fantastique or Scheherazade or Beethoven V. New World Symphony, all of these things that everyone loves and you can just hear again and again, but contrasted in each case with something that is, if not completely brand new, well then within the last quarter century, which in classical music the last 25 years is brand new. So there we have on the opening concert a new piece written a few years ago 
by a composer who has very strong connections to this area, a piece called Go, by a guy who shares a name with a very different composer of Austrian lineage, that would be Schoenberg. Then in the second concert, I was thinking about the famous waltz scene in Symphony Fantastique, so we're putting on the front of that a piece which, this is actually a little bit older than 25 years, but it's by American composer John Harbison, who has a cousin who plays in our orchestra, by the way. <laughs> that piece is the Foxtrot from The Great Gatsby, so that Foxtrot and that waltz seemed like they could live together. And then in the second part of the season, we begin something very new about which we're all extremely excited at the orchestra, both administratively and artistically. And that is putting some focus on the least represented group of composers in concert history. And that is American female composers. So we start off that series in February where we have the great hit Scheherazade, and so contrast that against this group of incredible American composers who happen to be women and several of their lead works. And so we have two very different stories to look at on that evening. So we have works by Amy Beach, Joan Tower, and Jennifer Higdon. So we're having this strong contrast of the ultra-new with the tried-and-true and then with a specific focus in several times of American women composers. So it's really trying to look back and look forward all at the same time. Let's move a little bit in another direction. There's an educational component to what you guys do. Oh, always, yes, indeed. We've just brought on a fantastic woman who has played with the orchestra for many years as an auxiliary musician and last season became our librarian and now this year is taking over as director of education in addition to being the music librarian. Her name is Kirsten Lipkins, so she's just begun in that position and is really reworking all that we do in our educational division and outreach. So we have all of the things which are geared towards children, and she's going to be working to really beef up our presence in what we call the musical petting zoo, which is where a member of our staff takes out this whole slew of instruments to some kid's place, either a classroom or a preschool or whatever, and teaches the kids about what the instruments are, how they play, how you play them, and just let them knock around on them. You know, I mean, these aren't the million-dollar violins, I can promise you. Whenever you see the kids doing this to all of a sudden blow into a trumpet or just take a bow across the violin and have that make the squeak for the first time, just their eyes light up. And you never know when one of those kids is going to be me. People imagine that musical talent comes, you know, like the stork. It just is dropped down your chimney and there you are. You conduct orchestras or play violin concertos or whatever you do. And it couldn't be further from the truth. You have to have that occasion as a child where you come into contact with it. For me, it was my kindergarten teacher playing the piano while we sang. That's what made me want to play the piano. There was no music at home. And for most people, there probably isn't music at home. So these encounters are very important. Of course, we have our big program, which is sort of the big focus of all of our education activities, where we bus thousands of school kids down to Springfield, and they have the traditional youth concert. I'm sure most of your listeners were a kid and saw one of them. So we have all of that going, and we're working on what we're going to do there. This year, I do know we're collaborating with the great children's author Jane Yolen in a project involving the youth concerts, and more about that as it all becomes completely clear and in focus. And then there's, of course, all of the stuff that we do out in the community with adults, our outreach chamber music recitals, be they in Longmeadow or over in Springfield or West Springfield or wherever. 
Those are always opportunities to learn more. So everything we do is, in its own way, some sort of educational piece. But I always like to tell people you don't have to understand or know all of these facts about classical music to find a love for it. I know I didn't when I first found my love for it. You know, in all the things that you've been talking about and the the passion that you have for the music and for everything that you're doing, you could be anywhere in the world. You could be in any major city doing these things. And here you are in the Northeast. What keeps you here? Well, there are lots of things. You know, when you go through life, go through a career, you have many different phases and states of mind throughout that time. And there is a phase of your life where you are very much focused only on the next thing. As soon as you get one thing, then, okay, I'm going to be focused on another thing to get. And just the simple fact of the matter is, is that among all the things I do, it wasn't very long after I was here that I and my wife, Jane, that we really developed a feeling of home that to that point was very unique in our experience. What I do here in Springfield, I'm very passionate about and feel it's a very special thing. I like to feel like I make a difference. I certainly know that what the Springfield Symphony does makes a difference here in a way that all of those great concerts by those great orchestras in world metropolitan centers, they aren't making that same kind of difference there. But here, we're playing in one of the greatest places you could possibly play with a group of musicians I love from the heart and playing for a community that I love also from the heart. So keeping Springfield part of my life has never been a difficult decision. Kevin, I can't say it enough. Thank you so much for joining me here on Presto. Hey, thank you. It was great. I've been talking with conductor Kevin Rhodes. He'll be leading the Springfield Symphony Orchestra as they kick off the symphony's 75th anniversary season with an opening night gala performance of music by Gershwin, Copeland, and Bernstein on Saturday, September 22nd. You can find more information at the orchestra's website, springfieldsymphony.org. Let us know what you think about Presto. Review us on Apple Podcasts or send an email to radio at nepr.net. The executive producer of Presto is John Vosey. I'm John Nowacki. Thank you for listening. Presto is a production of New England Public Radio.